to be a yogi. This is episode six, entitled Seventh Chakra. I'm trying to retrain myself to pronounce it in its proper Sanskrit, chakra. My dad said chakra, like a lot of people in the West. Tonight I'll be interviewing Priya Jain and Peter DeBellis. They teach Kundalini Yoga at Seventh Chakra Yoga in Huntington Beach, California. And so, without further ado, let's get to the interview, shall we? Welcome to the To Be a Yogi podcast. Cool. Hello. So, to start with, uh, what are your names? My name is Priya, Mm -hmm. and the last name is Jane. What does Priya mean? Priya means uh, the beloved. Okay. And then the last name was Jane? Uh, Jane is kind of like a a Buddhist religion, but it's not really Buddhism, but came around the same time. Um, And so there's this religion I believe my ancestors have been following for generations. And um, everybody's last name is Jane. Nice. So Jane Jane in India is like Smith in America. (laughs) Maybe. Pretty close. Sure. (laughs) I wouldn't say that, but sure. (laughs) And and how about you, Peter? What's your name? Uh, Peter. Debellus. And uh, what's the, what does that one mean? That means uh, it's really beautiful, actually. Uh, it means means of war. <laughs> <laughs> but Peter is uh, the rock, is it not? Peter is the rock. Yes, I'm the rock of war. The rock of war. That sounds <laughs> rock of war and the beloved. <laughs> sounds like a metal band. <laughs> Do you have a metal band on the side? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Now, and you guys both run. What is it? It's a oh, seventh chakra yoga. Seventh studio. chakra yoga studio in where? Huntington Beach. Oh, okay. So I can come visit you. I'm over here in in Highland Park. Oh, you are. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll I'll visit you before uh, before Bava's Fest. Okay. That would be awesome. Excellent. So, what do you guys do there? We teach. Uh, we our studio specializes in Kundalini yoga and meditation. Okay. And. It it has also become one of the hubs of uh, major sound, gong, singing bowl healing. Excellent. Uh, in Orange County. So we are actually probably the only Kundalini Yoga studio in Orange County so far. That's quite a responsibility. It is. It is. Uh, it is. It is. This modality is, is such an ancient sacred science that's still upcoming. Not a lot of people know about it, but it is a profound technology that can really help people connect to their deeper selves. Um, it not only works with the physical asanas, it also works on the mental body, which is the, the psychology self that we're dealing with right now. A lot with a lot of people, as we're seeing, um, seem overstressed or depressed or just out of sorts, um, which was kind of the reason that this technology was brought to the West. Yeah. Because uh, so that's one of the specialties of Kundalini Yoga. It really helps you integrate your um, psychological, emotional welfare and also your spiritual aspect into it. So it's it's a multitasker all in an hour and a half. You bring up that yoga was brought to the West. There's this phrase that's been going around since this Harvard study, the cultural appropriation of India by way mm-hmm. of Westerners teaching and practicing yoga. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Just unprompted 
you know, it's like anything, you know, any, any technology or any cultural item that comes into a different culture kind of gets blended. Yeah. In, in Western culture, I look at that we're very mind oriented. We're very mind body oriented and we're very uh, looks oriented hmm. and we're very action biased. Right. So it's quite natural. I mean, in, you know, yoga has a lot of branches beyond Hatha Vinyasa, but those two branches seem to have taken hold in America really pretty solidly. Right. And the main reason being is because it goes very much in line with kind of like what we believe as a culture. Right. Yeah. Mar and, Marilyn Monroe said that yoga was her secret to why she had such good legs, which on one hand was great advertisement for yoga. But on the other hand, there's <laughs> this backflow of kind of the westernization of yoga in India, which is bizarre. I, yeah. I, someone was saying the other day on the podcast here that they were in Bali and the only yoga classes that were available were Westerners that were living out there teaching a, a form of yoga that was reminiscent of kind of a Western style vinyasa. Yeah. yeah and you have to understand the way yoga is practiced in, in places like India. It, it is not practiced in the same way as it is here. Um, so yeah, I, I do agree that there is a backflow of yoga back to India in the form of power yoga is coming up over there, which is like, but it um, might not necessarily be that bad of a thing. Exactly. People in the urban areas who don't have that much time, uh, and I can tell you the cities in India, the urban cities are exactly like here. It's very fast paced. People don't have time. Their lives are super busy. Um, so it, it does work out for them. But yoga in its authenticity is still practiced very in a very traditional sense in India. It is not something that you would just go to a public class and there everybody would be. It is still uh, a teacher to guru relationship that creates the downflow of, of technology um, or, or this transmission takes place from teacher to guru in a in a very systematic manner. There's a lot of reverence behind it. There's There's a lot of tradition behind it. Um, but like you were saying in the modern day, it might not be such a bad idea of this, this backflow. It, it might even be a very good thing. Going to school and then working to pay for it and then, you know, taking care of kids and okay, stop yoga class, you know. Exactly. And, and Edward, we're, we're actually seeing, I, I like watching evolution and, you know, as we're always evolving and growing, regardless if we know it or not, you know, as individuals and groups. And I've been watching yoga and, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the, the forms of yoga that took hold here because they're kind of culturally aligned, you know. Yeah. Um, what we see is, um, you know, a really popular form of yoga is hot yoga, Bikram yoga. Mm -hmm. um, really beautiful from a standpoint of how it challenges us and it forces us to kind of let go because we're in such a hot area doing postures for an hour and a half. Um, and it's, at least from my experience with it, it, it's, it's a bit of a step up or a challenge, a mental challenge to Hatha and Vinyasa. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people that go do that just for that reason. It, it kind of, the experience forces you to surrender and let go. Otherwise it's just going to be a horrible hour and a half at 103 degree temperature. Right. Um, but then what we also see is people that go to Bikram, you know, there's not a lot of talking, there's not a lot of understanding, there's not even a lot of discussion of even how to breathe. They just, you get in that situation, you get in that, in that environment, you get in the posture and then you have to work it out yourself. Yeah. Um, 
And what a lot of people do is they actually come over to Kundalini afterwards because they've kind of hit the upper limits of the hot yoga. Hmm. Interesting. And yeah, and they Kundalini combines, you know, the the movement, the breathing, um, sound, which is really, really important, you know, to clear the mind. And what it does is the layering of that makes it, at least from my experience, um, quite powerful from a standpoint of really letting go and releasing stress so that you can find out what's under the stress that you're trying to either control or repress or hide or ignore or deny or whatever we do as human beings. But how do we relieve that um, existential angst that we have so that we can see what's underneath it, which is at least from my experience, is is more of us. Yeah, five veils of us. I was going to say that I'm vaguely aware of um, of Yogi Bhajan and the yoga of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend who got involved with that, and he taught me uh, uh, maybe six different little exercises, uh, like a seated, rapid breathing cat-calf, not really, really rapid, but, you know, more rapid than usual, um, followed by laying back and then a few other, uh, specific movements alternating between, um, repetitive movement and breathing with an emphasis on, uh, relieving blockages and causing the energy to uh, generally lift upward in the spine, followed by relaxing. And, uh, I loved it. I incorporated it into some of my, uh, my personal practices, but I don't really teach that since I'm not trained to teach that. Um, but is that basically, is that related to what you guys are teaching? Well, um, so there's something that's very important to clarify and, and if we can use your platform to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's an opportunity here. Uh, Kundalini yoga ideally should not be mixed with any other form of yoga. Um, the, the sequences that are laid out in Kundalini Yoga are something that the teachers don't make up. Um, these, are, these are sequences, we call them Kriyas, and these are handed down from over 5,000 years. And each sequence uh, moves energy in the body in a specific order uh, through specific chakras, combines different parts of your 10 bodies, works with different elements. So it's a very deep science. Uh, so I find that when people are doing Kundalini, uh, just a few exercises here or there, they can begin to stimulate this energy, but they would not, their body doesn't know what to do with it after that. If it's not moving in the direction it needs to be moved, that's where you kind of get the whole myth about Kundalini being dangerous. Hmm. It can only be dangerous if, um, if the body doesn't understand what's going on with it, if the body doesn't have pathways through which it needs to move through and create a balance within itself. So from that perspective, um, we, we really like to teach this as a technology. Right. More and, than just yoga. And it's and it's a gradual process. You know, I'm sure you've heard or people that probably listen to this podcast have heard about Kundalini awakening, you know, mm-hmm. and having a spontaneous awakening. And those can be quite blissful, but for people it can be quite terrifying also because it's it's just a shift in your consciousness, your state of being, your energy, everything. And the whole purpose of the Kundalini Yoga is to have that happen, but have it happen in a very controlled manner. So it's manageable. Right. So it's, 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 you're taking steps, not leaps, you know? Yeah. And if somebody's trying to take leaps, you got to ask the obvious question, why? Right. You know, 
Why do you need to get to where you need to get? Why are you in such a hurry? And where do you think you're going to end up in such a hurry? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very well laid out technology, especially as uh, Yogi Bhajan brought it and taught it. Um, So like, even if there there are about 20,000 plus different kind of kriyas, which are sequences of exercises. And there are about 48,000 different kind of meditations. And each one having a specific effect on, like I said, on layers of your being. And there's so many beyond the five koshas or within the five koshas or the veils. There's there's many, many, many dimensions of us. So it just goes so deep and it explores such aspects of yourself that once you start on this journey, you're like, wow, I didn't I didn't know me. I barely knew the surface of me. And so you go on this on this journey of self exploration, which is, uh, which just takes you beyond any distractions. It takes you away from all distractions of the Maya, and you you learn to get centered in who you are, and and you become more and more satisfied in that, more fulfilled. And and what Priya is talking about, you know, I I kind of break this into four different areas. There's there's emotion, there's a breath, um, there's sound or mantra. And then there's meditation. So the whole purpose of Kundalini Yoga, she said there's, you know, 30, 40,000 of these things and they're combined motion, breath and mantras in a certain way, working from the thickest part of our existence, our body, working through our emotions, using breath to get our glands moving certain ways and then using sound to calm our minds so that we're in a space where then when we meditate, we go extremely deep because we've gotten all the thickness out of the way. Whereas if you just sit down and meditate, you can meditate, but sometimes it takes quite a long time to sit there yeah. and work through all those layers. Whereas there's quicker ways you can get your body biochemistry and your biology working in your favor instead of against you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I my what drew me to Hatha Yoga was the phrase or just the the idea that its whole purpose was to make the body an ideal vessel for meditation. And I was like, oh, okay, because I grew up meditating, but when you're five, your low back is fine, <laughs> you know? And then you try to meditate as an adult who sits in a cubicle all day, and it's, you know, not so not so pleasant of an experience. And so, yeah, it's a, that's, that's great. It's like a, a fountain of youth. <laughs> and, and one of the things you'll see actually within uh, Kundalini, which I find fascinating, is not only the postures, but the breathing. Um, both of those are often set up to be sometimes actually quite challenging. Mm-hmm. So that as you're doing something, either breathing and challenging your breath or moving or holding a posture for maybe minutes at a time, that you're able to meditate and keep a very calm mind and focus while your body is screaming or maybe even your psychology is screaming because you want to so badly take a big full breath of air. Hmm. So what we're really doing is kind of like what Bikram does, which is creates heat on the outside, which then forces and challenges you on the inside. What we're doing is we're creating heat on the inside. Interesting. Which is creating the same type of challenge right but it can be a bit bit more directed tapas isn't that tapas tapas is a nice food (laughs) (laughs) tapas is the white heat i actually like that (laughs) you know so any good spanish bars around (laughs) (laughs) you said the white heat 
Yes, tapa means the white heat. It's it's not the red hot heat. Okay. It's a white heat, and um, so traditionally, it's said that this white heat works on burning karmas. And the, and if you think about it, how does that happen? It's because we're storing a lot of emotional and psychological information in the glandular system. Mm, muscle memory. And when, when this heat starts to build in your body, it starts to really cleanse, uh, clear the the toxic information sitting in your glandular system. It clears your, or strengthens your nervous system. So you really don't have to work on things that are sitting in your body anymore. So it, in a way, clears your karma. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept. And what's beautiful, Edward, is is you know, there's a what I see is happening is this beautiful merge of East and West is taking place. Yeah, where science, which is very fact and um and and observation oriented, and then Eastern, which is very experiential, are coming together. And there's this beautiful overlay that's happening that each of them is showing the other culture what they can't see. Hmm. And true. One of the nice things is, you know, Priya talks about Kundalini Yoga with the glandular system, which is huge, you know, because the glandular system is what produces all the hormones, either the adrenaline that makes us in scared and in a fight and flight mode right, or the serotonin, dopamine, endorphins and oxytocin that gets us in that really beautiful space where we can do stuff, but we're quite open and aware as we do it. Talk about 28,000 different things. I mean a scent that reminds you of a particular memory will cause a particular symphony of chemistry in your body that is scientifically verifiable that used to be something that sounded like poetry. And and what's beautiful is, you know, how do you master your body so that you know how it needs to either move or breathe or find its own rhythm so that that rhythm creates a rhythm within your body which causes your glandular system not to secrete this sort of fight and flight type mentality but it literally upgrades your whole glandular system and your your nervous system so that you can work at a at a at a higher functioning level everybody's felt that functioning level but the trick is how do you maintain it over long periods of time so it's sustainable a lot of people achieve those through you know a lot of extreme sports or, or drugs, right? They experience those profound experiences, but the only way they can achieve it again is through going to those experiences. Yeah, again. Those shortcuts that in the end don't really serve you. That's right. So the long way is the, the way of purifying what you eat and drink and, and being in present time with your body and not doing things unconsciously. I, sometimes I'll walk into a class and see a bunch of people looking at their phone and I'll say, okay, when you're looking at your phone, here's how you should sit. <laughs> you know, right. like not, no, keep the phone. It's okay. Let me show you how to properly use your phone. <laughs> Call it the iPhone asana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now just to kind of like veer into an area that I, I, I'm just kind of like ignorant of. Um, and I, I, I don't know if it's related or interesting, but since I'm curious about it, I think that maybe one of my listeners might be uh, curious about it. And maybe you know. Now, I'm familiar with Vajrayana Buddhism as mm -hmm. the form of, of Buddhism that uh, 
that was, I mean, or originated in India at a certain point long after the other forms of Buddhism, which is kind of the point that the other forms of Buddhism always make is like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he came up with this stuff and we just hadn't heard of it until just now. But anyway, um, that's what my dad was into. What I was raised with uh, was bells and dorges and, and things like that. Um, and uh, mandalas. And then apparently it skipped over most of China and landed in part of Japan, uh, where mm-hmm. instead of horns and uh, things like that, they have a lot of drums and uh, fire going on, but also the mandalas and also the chants and a lot of the same sutras and a lot of the same chants just chanted in, in medieval Japanese instead of um, Sanskrit or Tibetan. So what's my question? Is any of this related to kundalini yoga or yogi bhajan? Uh, not directly, but indirectly, they're all related, mm-hmm. uh, as you probably know. So, so Kundalini was, as I understand, was the source, like the source sprout of, of spirituality. They say so. Any time there's a little bit of consciousness that moves inside of anyone, even a conscious thoughts that that wants to take place inside of you, a little bit of the Kundalini energy gets released into the spine. So, from that perspective. Any religion, not just Buddhism, right. but any religion, including Christianity and uh, Islam, it's all related to the flow of Kundalini. We can have practitioners who are just pra- practicing the asanas um, for the heck of showing off mm-hmm. <laughs> or for the heck of saying, hey, I'm doing yoga. It doesn't matter. The deeper practice of yoga means anything that will unite you to your deeper essence. And... Anything that does from Buddhism all the way across to any religion will be using Kundalini, whether they know of it or not. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was I was just wondering if there was like a historical connection or if, if Kundalini Yoga had was connected to Vajrayana or I mean I'm just again, I'm I'm ignorant, kind of going into it as a curious, bumbling, you know, scholar. You know, I mean I'm practicing yoga at the same time, but I'm also kind of curious about now, is that connected to this? Yeah. There's the same word there in that and in this, and is you know, is there a connection? That kind of thing. I, I it might be. Um I'm not very familiar with, with the practice. He was an intense guy. I mean, just looking at his face, he reminds me a little bit of Padma Sambhava, the guy with the the Dorja and the third eye and the big grin in eighth uh, century uh, Tibet or Nepal. Right. <laughs> that's that's really the connection that I can see, and the big Dorja, but yeah, <laughs> or Vajra, the big Vajra that he had over. I, I from what I hear, Kundalini was practiced so such a long time ago, like more than five thousand years ago, and was passed on from teacher to student. Um, and especially was called Raja Yoga because it was also practiced. It was like a necessity back then that all rulers, uh, kings had to understand and learn Kundalini Yoga because okay. they had to rule through consciousness. So Kundalini deals with consciousness, pure and simple. And from, but over time, as uh, as India went through changes and other forces started to come in. Um, they were finding that the only people that were very hard to subdue or to uh, form towards their liking were the people who were practicing Kundalini Yoga. Uh, and the reason being that people who practice Kundalini Yoga just become so aware of the the Maya and the games that right. are played that they, they don't choose to engage them anymore. Mm. So a lot of these uh, foreign influences 
were starting to kill uh, Kundalini yogis. And so for a long period of time, Kundalini yoga went underground. So even to this day, it's not taught openly. Hmm. In it. So I feel that's where Yogi Bhajan did a really brave move when he took Kundalini yoga and decided to bring it to the West. His uh, belief was that the West is this one area which was absolutely not prepared for what's coming up as this wave of consciousness changes as we move into the information age. Um, and as we can see all around us, there's just so much information. And my, and my impression is not having known him, experienced him, but seeing the people that were the first wave of, of Kundalini yogis is, you know, when he came to this country, it was like having a crack, a really hard nut open, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he needed something pretty powerful, not only in his personality, but in the actual experience to help people, at least the people that he engaged to wake up. Now, I heard a rumor, and forgive me if this is offensive, but I heard a rumor, and I was just wondering if you had heard the same rumor or if you could clear it up for me, that at one point in his youth, uh, there was a certain saint that had a secret that, would, that was refusing to reveal it, and Yogi Bhajan pointed a gun at him and got the secret. <laughs> that's a that's a new one okay <laughs> i know i've heard so many it's amazing how we we make up these legends uh, it's probably a, just a rumor i mean it's probably just something that went around the the telephone game and, and arrived at uh, and my ears you know. and i can see why somebody would because <laughs> budget had this you know strong i mean personality this powerful personality and he wasn't shy of speaking his mind um, and that's really how he brought a lot of people to that awakening. Hey, kind of just wake up. And for and knowing him, not personally, but we watch a lot of his videos. And and like I said, I, said, I know he has a very strong personality, but he wouldn't. <laughs> I, I think he would put a gun to a yogi's head or say, hey, give me that secret so that I can go share it with the Western people. Um <laughs> and and the, and the most interesting thing about all this, Edward, is, is, you know, it seems like, you know, being, it's not even Western, it's just being human, we tend to divide and categorize. Right. And this whole experience that we're having, you know, Kundalini Yoga seem, is one method, one... Uh, Rather than interconnected with all methods. Yeah, so it's kind of like we try to divide and conquer and say, hey, this is it, and this isn't this, and this is... And, and when you come down to the essence of what this is, is, and we know this just from the people that come into the studio and how they're touched and how they actually evolve and open up more to who they are, is this is just purely about becoming aware, becoming more sensitive to who you are and sensitive to what's happening around you. And then being that automatically causing you to be more conscious. Your world isn't just about you anymore. Yeah. Your world isn't just about your friends. Your world isn't just about your family. It's it it starts widening and you start seeing the flow. Right. Of, and the patterns of life, both the good ones and the foolish ones. But then life doesn't, you know, the whole trick here is how do you dance in life without being in conflict the whole time? Hmm. And until you can see Everything either seems to be a, a benefit or or a, or a, a, a threat, and until you can actually actually see the dance, even like the dance of individual people that are stuck in their own Maya, 
and realizing yeah. that these people, though they might be causing a lot of trouble to other people in the world around them, they're in their own right kind of stuck. In a way, we're disconnected in that way from each other and from our world, but also in the context of Kundalini connecting all of the chakras, we're disconnected within ourselves so that, you know, we're taught as children that, you know, the pleasure chakra, you know, is, is in the seedy part of town and that the, uh, the heart chakra is over here in the church. And, but, you know, then, then if you want frivolity, if you want social, you know, that's at the coffee house, you know, it's just, we're all over the place rather than an integrated being rather than being someone who is the crown and the root at the same time. And that's, that's the goal. Yeah, that's the essence of it is, you know, I use more Western terms when I describe it is, is you find your own sovereignty. Hmm. You find your, you find capacity, Raja. You find room, and then in the off, in the process of finding your own sovereignty, you find your own autonomy. And then when you're autonomous, you don't need things in the outside world. You connect with them, you work with them, but you don't consume them because you think they're going to make up for something you're lacking. Right. Because as soon as you do that, the world becomes a threat because as much as you can receive it, it can be taken away from you. Yeah. So relationship can be taken away from you, your possessions, even your life. Local grocery store. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's such a different way to look at it, but it it's a shift of perspective that it's – I always laugh. It's kind of like you know the Wizard of Oz when they pull back the curtain. You see what's really behind the wizard. You know, yeah, this, this is a lot of this process of peeling back our own filters and perceptions is about being able to see what is really behind what we're really seeing. Yeah. And to me, that's spirituality. There's the, that's that is the essence of spirituality. Yeah, mine was a Western description and Priya could do this. description. <laughs> And that, that is a process in itself where we have to unchain ourselves from one way of looking at spirit. Yeah. And, and if I had to guess, this Eastern approach is bringing it back in a way that we can look at it. And we know, you know, Western world looks at things as more as objects and processes and material. Right. And that works if you want to create abundance in this world, but it doesn't work when you're just trying when you're trying to create happiness. Right. Abundance, but at an expense. Absolutely. So how is it that you start finding that there's different layers in of of um, of experience that we can have? Some of them quite tangible, some of them quite subtle. Yeah. Some sometimes so subtle that you didn't even know it took place. Yet it tends to be quite significant when it's at that level. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Bava's Fest. Mm -hmm. What are you guys going to be? Uh, what, what, first of all, what day do you guys go on? Are you doing one presentation or more than one? Uh, that is a good question. We actually don't know yet. Oh, okay. Um, we haven't received the schedule yet, um, but we know that we'll be teaching through that weekend. We just don't know what time or day yet. Okay. Uh, but if people sign up, then surely they will... Uh, be able to see you there. Bava's Fest is uh, B-H-A-V-A-S-F-E-S-T dot com. And that's happening this year, 2016, from March 31st until April 3rd. And now for people who are tuning in for you guys, who are impressed by you guys or, or that kind of thing, um, what's your promo code? I believe it's seven, the number seven, Chakra Yoga. 
So just seven, not seven th. I believe it's just seven. So seven c h a k r a y o g a. Yeah. And if you're tuning in for for me or for the To Be a Yogi podcast, it's To Be Y O G I. To Be Yogi, um, and the, either one of those promo codes will will cut twenty percent off of the admission fee. So instead of two fifty, it'll be two hundred. And um, so yeah, that that should be fun. I'm looking forward to that. I uh, have you guys been up to Kernville? Yeah, I'm actually a fly fisherman, so I know that area quite. Oh, well. nice, nice. It's a. I'm actually bringing my fly rod up there. <laughs> I'm hoping we get to go do some whitewater rafting. It might 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 have it. It's gonna be cold though. <laughs> oh yeah, it's still gonna be cold. Not <laughs> quite. Cold. Spring hasn't quite kicked in yet. But yeah, um, just just in respect, you know, we don't know the classes we're going to be teaching, but I know, or the times, but uh, we're going to be teaching Kundalini Yoga, and then we're also going to be doing some sound work, um, bringing some gongs. We we've offered to do an evening gong bath, if that's um, if that's something the the management wants to have done, but we we're not quite sure what where we're going to be working, but sound and Kundalini is going to be what we're going to be focusing on. That sounds great. I'm going to be doing a, a little uh, hatha yoga and warm up for, you know, a seated meditation posture, followed by opening the chakras using a method that my dad taught me that he got from an Italian theosophist. So, I mean, I'm probably going to be hanging out with you guys a lot. Uh, just uh, kind of, <laughs> uh, can, can I can I help you with anything? Do you need, you know, because uh, because I'd, I'd like to absorb uh, your knowledge. We kind of go somewhat gong and somewhat you know kind of shamanic nice yeah and I'm, i also want to record here and there in the you know with people's permission of course uh in the the festival so that people who missed it this year can hear it and then sign up next year yeah that'll be fun yeah. of course we're willing to share our knowledge and our our passion is to be able to teach and get people to connect to themselves whichever path that might be that may be for them so we're looking forward to Pava Fest and spending some time with some enlightened yogis like you yourself. <laughs> yeah, Thank look you very to, much. Look forward to meeting you. Likewise. Well, is there anything you guys want to mention before we uh, wrap up? Stay well, be well, and love yourself. Thank you very much for being on the To Be a Yogi podcast tonight. Wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful talking to you, Edward. Likewise. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Namaste. Thank you, Priya and Peter. It was very nice meeting you. I look forward to seeing you up north. Look forward to seeing you in Huntington Beach, perhaps, before then. Special thanks to Brian Dahl and Loretta's Dahl for the music you're hearing right now. It's an album called Golden Dawn LVX. As always, thank you all for tuning in. Namaste. Namaste.